Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Can we all stand up for the reading of God's word? Romans 9, starting in verse 6, it says this. Now it is not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray for the next few moments as we dig into this passage that you might reveal to us what you're trying to communicate and that you might embolden and encourage your church through it. That you might comfort us in knowing that you have a plan for your church. And I pray, Lord, that we would lean into that and trust you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. All right, let me gauge who's in the room with me. How many of you have ever done a renovation project on your own at a house? Okay. Let me see if your, your experience is like mine. You get about 90% done, and then what, what happens with the last remaining 10%? It sits there for like the next 10 years, right? And you don't touch it again? Well, me and my wife decided to do that. Uh, about a year ago, uh, we uh, bought a new house, or at least a new-to-us house, and we decided that we just wanted to update it. And so we did uh, quite a few things in the house, and we decided that we wanted to do about 90% of it ourselves. And when I say ourselves, I mean me. Um, uh, to be fair, my wife was like seven months pregnant, and we had a two-year-old. Probably not the best time to move and renovate an entire house, but we did it. Uh, and man, uh, we did quite a few things that were a bit challenging. One, we removed tile uh, down to the bare concrete to get ready for new floors. We framed in a few walls, painted the whole house. Um, but one of the major projects that we did was we gutted the entire kitchen. And um, <laughs> okay, here's a picture. So uh, here's a picture of before. Um, and so we just decided we just wanted to update it and just renovate it. And so here's a picture afterwards. Now, if you're a contractor, don't judge me. Okay, don't look too close. Um, but that's what it was afterwards. Now, here's where it was in the middle somewhere, um, right here. Um, so at this point was when I was having a nervous breakdown. Um, and so, so if you were to come in at the end and see the final result, you would say, okay, I see what's going on here. If you were to come in right in the middle with no context, you would say, Chris, have you lost your mind? And well, maybe that was just me saying that to myself. Um, so if you have no context for where things are going, then you might walk in and you might say, what have you done? You have taken a perfectly usable kitchen and made it awful and like unusable. Uh, when we actually moved into the house, there was no kitchen. It was completely gutted. There was just nothing there. We spent the first you know, three or four weeks washing our dishes in the bathroom. Um, and in that time, I was asking myself, what have I done? <laughs> Why have I ruined this? I don't think I'm ever going to be able to bring this back to what it was. Now, I tell the story because I think we might be in a similar place as the church. And let me get at what I'm saying about that. A few weeks ago, Pastor Lee shared some stats on church decline. And no doubt about it, the church is in decline right now. And I think if you were to look at that, 
and um, without any context of what's going on around it, you might be freaking out a little bit. Like, like, you may not need convincing that the church has declined. Like, you can just turn on the news. You can just go look on the Azel residence page on Facebook and just know Christianity is going out the window. But if you do need convincing, here's some stats for you. All right, in 2020, a study was done, and they found that 64% of Americans identify as Christians. Not bad, right? Like, well over the majority, we're doing great. Doesn't seem quite as good when you know that 50 years ago, in that same study, they found that 90% of Americans identified as Christian. So in the course of 50 years, we went from 90% identifying as Christians to 64%. In 50 years, it's gone down 26%. Just for reference, that's 85 million Americans have not, uh, that it's gone down who identify as Christian. Now, one of the more interesting developments in this is that as we're seeing the decline of Christianity in the church in America, there's been an increase and a rise of what they're calling the nuns, like N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. So whenever they give out these surveys, they give all these different options for what you identify as, like Christian, Buddhist, agnostic, atheist. And one of the options is none, uh, meaning that you don't identify with any of these things. Spirituality isn't even on your radar. They click none, hence they call them the nuns. So this number right here in 1990 was 5%. 5% of Americans identified as nothing when it comes to spirituality. Today, that number has climbed to 30%. So in the past um, uh, 30 years or so, we've seen an increase of people who are not rejecting Christianity to go to agnostic, which means that like, I think there's a God out there. I just don't know where he is or who he is. That's agnostic. They're not going to that. They're not going to atheists where they say there is no God out there. They're going to nuns where they say, God's not even on my radar. I, I don't even care. Like, I'm, I'm just not giving it the time of day. That's what's happening. So over the past 50 years, we see a sharp decline in Christianity and a sharp increase of people who just have no care about religion at all. God's not even on their mind, right? So in the midst of all of that, I think what can happen with us is we can start to have the same thoughts that I have in the middle of renovating my kitchen where I walk in and I say, what is going on? What has happened? Is this ever going to recover from this? Like when you see studies like that, it could elicit thoughts in your mind of, is the church failing? Is Satan winning? Am I on the wrong team here? Has God failed? And so... What I want to do today is I want to present to you um, that in the midst of church decline, that God is not failing and God has not failed. And, and, and I'm hoping that you feel encouraged about that topic, knowing these three things. We're going to cover these three things. One, that this is nothing new, that there's always been an ebb and flow of people going towards God and people going away from God throughout human history. We're going to talk about two, that in the midst of that, there's always the true church, the people of God who are going to stand strong through it. And then three, that God has a plan for that true church and he's going to see that plan to completion. Okay? 
So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to move pretty quick. Um, we got a lot to get through, so, so hang tight. Um, but my hope is that in asking the question, has God failed due to the decline of the church, the answer is going to be a resounding no, he hasn't failed. Cool? Make sense? All right, here we go. So this concept of people are rejecting God, people are abandoning God, so therefore God has failed, isn't a new concept. Um, like we've seen this actually in the Bible. In our passage today, it presents this very thought, this very situation. Romans chapter 9, verse 6, if you want to pull it up. It says this, Now it's not as though the word of God has failed. Let's stop right there. What's going on? Like, so it's presenting this concept of the word of God has failed. Why? Well, previous few verses before this, Paul is explaining uh, the situation of the Israelites. In case you don't know, the Israelites are the God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament. And he explains this right here. So go back to verse 4. It says this, They are the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. So what's the issue here? Like, like you've got the Israelites, and to them belong all these things in whom they're covenant, in covenant with God. What's the issue? Here's the issue, is that the Israelites at this time were not following God, for the most part. Like in fact, Christ, the Messiah, to the Israelites came, and they not only rejected Christ, but they crucified him, and now are persecuting and going against his church that he set up. And so the question is, is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You've got the Israelites, the people of God, and they're rejecting God. How does that work? How does that work? Like, like, has God failed in this process? Like, has the word of God failed? Has God's promises failed? And you see how that's a big question to ask. Like, God's people aren't even following God. So if, if we can't trust God's promises in this situation, how are we going to trust God's promises in future situations, right? So, so that's the, the lingering um, question in the air. Has God's promises failed? Has God's word failed? Has God failed because his Israelites, his people, aren't even following him? Let's see what he says. Go back to verse 6. Now it's not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. So in his answer, which he goes into much more in depth in the next few chapters, uh, is basically this, that there is a difference. He's kind of separating them out. There is a difference between ethnic Israel and Israel, like the, the church Israel, the true Israel, spiritual Israel. There's a difference between those two. And just because you have been born into this one doesn't mean that you're part of this one. He goes on to explain that, that who your daddy is, who your granddaddy is, doesn't automatically qualify you as Israel. It's if you have been saved by grace through faith, that's what qualifies you as Israel. That's what he gets into. And so, so Paul is back here saying that just because you were born an Israelite, that doesn't make you Israel. Just because you were surrounded by Israelites, that doesn't make you Israel. Is that kind of making sense? Okay, so let me put it this way. How many of you have had a gym membership in your life? Okay, a few. We've got some healthy people in here. A few years ago, um, I got a gym membership. Uh, Michael Masterpole, our student minister, convinced me to do it. And uh, we do what a lot of people do. We worked out for a few months, and then we just eventually stopped working out, and then I paid for it for the next six months until I finally went through the process to cancel it. So 
not the bastion of health here, but let's just say, for sake of argument, I was to go down the road to this uh, gym by Subway and get a membership. So I've purchased a membership there. And I walk in, and as I walk in, I'm carrying with me my Crunchwrap Supreme from Taco Bell, my Quesarito, my five-layer burrito, you know, all the good stuff. Um, and I've got my large Dr. Pepper, and I sit there, not work out, but I sit there and consume about 2,000 worth of calories while I watch everyone do cardio on the treadmill and lifting weights on the bench and all that stuff. Should I be considered part of those people who are striving to be healthy? Why not? I paid for the membership the same way they did. I'm in the gym just as much as they are. I'm around people who are doing it. Like, of course, like I shouldn't be considered part of those people because just because I'm in the same room as them, that doesn't mean I am doing what they're doing. Just because I'm at the gym as much as them, that doesn't mean that I'm doing what they're doing. So of course, like, like just being at the gym doesn't make me healthy by any means. And, and Paul's kind of saying the same thing here. He's saying that just because you were born into Israel, that doesn't make you of Israel. Those are two different things there. And we've seen this throughout all of history uh, in the Old Testament concerning Israel that you have the Israelites, but throughout all of their history, the majority of Israelites weren't actually of Israel and following God. Like we've been going through First and Second Kings on Wednesday nights, uh, which is a fascinating study, by the way, if you wanna come check it out. But um, all through the First and Second Kings, you see this jerking back and forth bet- uh, of going towards God and away from God with Israel. Like they would have a good king and they would uh, go towards God and then something would happen and they would jerk back and start following their own idolatry and self-worship and things like that. And then God would send judgment, new king would come. Okay, let's go back to God. Nope, JK, we're going to go back over here. And we see this all the time throughout First and Second Kings, just this constant jerking back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And so that's, this is nothing new. Like mankind has always been fickle in its following God and abandoning God and following God and abandoning God. And so before we get too much deeper, we should know that, that if the culture is abandoning God right now and Christianity is in decline, that is no surprise to history. That is no surprise to God. And it shouldn't be any surprise to us. That was the case in the Old Testament. It was the case in the New Testament. And we're not exempt from that. It's going to be the case for us today. There's always been an ebb and flow of people going to God and away from God. Now, you might stop me at this point and say, Chris, that's not encouraging. That's not encouraging. You said you were going to encourage us. Like, uh, you're telling us that for the majority of history, mankind has went away from God. That's not encouraging. That's discouraging. Okay, here we go. Here's the encouraging part. In the midst of the ebb and flow of people going to God and away from God in the midst of the ebb and flow of the fickleness of mankind, there's always been and there always will be the true church that's standing strong through it all. When Paul is talking about Israel in these three chapters in Romans, uh, in chapter 11, uh, he starts to describe a situation that happened in 1 Kings with Elijah. Elijah was one of the prophets to Israel and one of the things that the prophets were supposed to do was to to call Israel to repentance. And so Elijah's coming to God and he's saying, hey, Israel's abandoned you. 
They've torn down your altars and now they're coming to kill me. Right? It's declined pretty far. Here's what Paul says right here. 11.4. But what was God's answer to him, Elijah? I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed down to Baal, which is a foreign pagan god. In the same way then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. So before we go on any further, let's just run some numbers here. So uh, most scholars believe that uh, Israel at the time of, of First and Second Kings, there's around two and a half million to three million Israelites. How many did God say were not, or the, how many Israelites did God say were following him? 7,000. Who knows the percentage of 7,000 and 3 million? I know it because I've, I've ran the numbers already. 0.23%. 0.23% of all of Israel was actually truly following God. That 64% of Americans that identify as Christian doesn't seem so bad anymore, right? 0.23% out of 3 million, only 7,000 were following God, and the rest were not just abandoning God, they were rejecting God, tearing down his altars, and persecuting and killing his prophets. Man, the decline is immense here. And so we get on this critical level with Elijah in the Old Testament, with the people rejecting God, and what does Paul say? He says that in that moment, while people were rejecting God, there was a remnant, and let's just, for, for simplicity's sake, let's call the remnant. Uh, the true followers of God. The Bible uses that term uh, quite a bit. There's a remnant among those people that are going to stand strong through it all. And what does Paul say? Go, go ahead and pull that verse up one more time. There we go. Um, he says in verse 5, in the same way then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. So back then, people were abandoning God and there was a remnant that stood strong through it all. Here in the now, Paul says, there's people abandoning God, but there's a remnant that's standing strong through it all. And here's what I'm going to tell you. In the present time now, even though the culture is declining, even though Christianity is declining, there's a remnant. There's the true church that is standing strong through it all. We don't have to worry about that. Now, um, as the culture uh, degrades, as people start to abandon Christianity, what I believe is going to happen is that the true church of God is going to emerge through that all. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing that the culture is kind of moving away from Christianity. Here's why. Is that whenever you have um, Christianity as the popular thing to do in the culture, what's going to happen is you're going to have people who join Christianity not because they're actually following God. They're joining Christianity because it's the popular thing to do. It's what you do on Sundays. You go to church. And so I'm a Christian now. And I think one of the saddest things is people who think they're a Christian, but they're not Christian, right? That, that's the saddest people on the earth. And so what happens is as the culture declines and Christianity not only becomes the unpopular thing to do, but gets more and more persecuted, you know what's going to happen? All of those surface level, nominal, cultural Christians are going to jump ship because they're like, I didn't sign up for this. If you're not following God, why be persecuted for God? So they're going to jump ship. And what that's going to do is that's going to cause the true church to rise up. And we're going to see a purifying and a purging of the church to reveal the remnant of God. And that's the church 
Not, not, not all these cultural people. That's the church that Jesus told Peter that I will build this church and not even the gates of hell will come against it. That's what Jesus was talking about. And so we, we don't have to be discouraged that the church is in decline because we know that there's a remnant that's gonna stand strong through it all and no politician can take that down, no ruler can take that down, no political party can take that down, no cultural ideology can take that down, no persecution can take that down, nothing that Satan can grab his hands on and attack the church with can take it down because God said, this is my church, and I am the gates of hell will stand against it. The remnant is still there through thick and thin. The church is still there. Now, where has God taken the church? Uh, that's, that's kind of an important part because right now we're in the midst of like, the kitchen's been gutted. And if I don't know where I'm going with the kitchen, then man, we're just gonna stay here. God's got a plan. God's got uh, somewhere he's taken us. Let's take a look at what that is. In the midst of hardship, God has a plan for his church that he's gonna fulfill. Paul says it this way in Ephesians, explaining the trajectory of the church. Ephesians 4.11. And he himself, God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints, that's you and me, for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, that's the church, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So where's the church heading? The church is being molded and shaped into the image of Christ, the, the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever molded something, my, my daughter plays with Play-Doh all the time and it gets molded. Uh, it looks fun from the outside. The Play-Doh is having a hard time though, right? The Play-Doh gets to get pushed and pressed and cut up and all these things. And, and that's us. We're the church. We're being molded and shaped. And that's not a fun feeling. That's not an easy feeling, but it's being molded and purified into something greater. And so Paul says that through our faith in Christ, through our knowledge of Christ, we're growing up into maturity, not just any maturity, but a maturity uh, with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, meaning that at its full maturity and completion, if you hold up Christ's fullness and the church, they're held up right next to each other. We're being, we're being molded and shaped into the image of Christ. Paul says it a little bit more explicitly, um, a verse down in verse 15. He says this, but speaking truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Now, I love the, the cleverness of the way that God structured um, the gospel here because it's telling us that the end point of the church, the end point of our salvation is Christ. We're growing up into Christ. Elsewhere in scripture, it refers to Christ as the cornerstone and the foundation of our salvation. The gospel upon which we stand is Christ. And so do, do y'all see the poetic nature here? Okay, so we've got Christ is the firm foundation, the solid rock on which we stand for our salvation. And at the same time, Christ is the destination in which we're growing up into. Y'all see it? Y'all see it there? The Bible is saying that Christ is the beginning of our salvation and Christ at the same time is the end of our salvation that Christ is um, the foundation where we start and the goal that we strive for. Hebrews 11 puts it this way, Christ is the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. 
Here's the trajectory of the church, that we might be rooted in Christ and at the same time grow up into Christ. Now here's the beautiful thing about that plan that God has for the church. Numbers don't matter. If we have tons of people, millions, billions of people gathered together, the plan is the same. If we have uh, just a couple of people together, the plan is the same. God's plan for the church is not dependent on numbers. Don't get me wrong, God wants to save as many people as he can, but if it's between having a ton of people who are casually following him and a few people who are authentically following him, he will choose the few every time because that's what he's after. Right? And so here's the beautiful thing for us. That means that if the entire world, 7 billion people, were to lock arms with us and chase after God and his plan, then amen, let's go, let's do it. But if that, that also means that if it's just a couple hundred people at the church of First Baptist Azel, and it's just us against the world, then let's lock arms, let's do it. We can still achieve the plan of God that he has for the church, right? And so... So that needs to be our goal in this. It's like we don't need to be concerned that everything else is falling apart around us because that's okay. That's what the world does. We need to be concerned with being rooted in Christ and growing up into Christ. And so has God failed? Like God hasn't failed by a long shot because one, this isn't anything new. Mankind has always been fickle. Mankind has always ebbed and flowed to and from God. But in the midst of that fickleness of mankind, there's always been the remnant of God, the true church that shines through and stands strong through it all. And God has a plan for that church to be rooted in and to grow up into Christ. And not even the gates of hell can stop that. Are you encouraged? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you have developed a plan um, to refine and to purify your church and to take your church all the way to completion to the fullness of Christ. And, and God, I pray that in the midst of the culture losing their minds, in the midst of judgment on the people, that we would not lose heart knowing that they rejected you, and if they rejected you, a, a student is not above their master, they're gonna reject us too. That we wouldn't have to get discouraged because we're not achieving numbers, because for you, it's not about numbers, it's about authentic followers of Christ. And so Lord, through your spirit, give us a boldness, give us courage, that we can stand strong in the midst of persecution, in the midst of rejection, in the midst of decline. We can stand strong knowing that your true church will stand strong with you. We're gonna move into a time of invitation and really this time is just a time for you to respond. And I don't know how God's working in your life. There's not a whole lot of application uh, to this sermon. It's really just more meant to be encouragement to you. And so maybe you just need to sit there and pray and thank God that in the midst of the culture falling apart, that God is with us, standing strong. Maybe you just need to pray for the culture, pray for the world that God would be at work in it, that God would use the church to, to take the light into the world, that the true church might be built up even more. You may be a person that you're like, I'm not even part of the church. 
Like I'm one of those cultural Christians that you were talking about. I'm like, I'm just here because it's Sunday. I'm here because my mom and dad were here. And let me just share with you in the same way that an Israelite is not of Israel because of who their mom and dad is. You are not a Christian because of who your mom and dad is. You're a Christian because you've been saved by grace through faith. And so you may be a person that says, I've never placed my faith in Jesus. And so maybe you want to come down and you want to talk more about that. You want to give your life to Jesus. However God is working in your life, this is just the time for you to do so. Can we all stand up? We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And again, in this time, it's just a time for you to respond however God is calling you.